All right, let me read uh, 1 Peter 1. I'll read starting in verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, redeemed like silver or gold in parentheses or in commas, and then back to what we were redeemed from, what? Aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. So um, this passage jumped out at me actually on Passover. I had this written on the board, and it's because that what I just read is followed by what we were redeemed by, and that's the precious blood of the true unblemished lamb. So obviously it's a reference to Christ as the, as the Passover, um, but I keep getting taken back to what we were redeemed from, and it's aimless conduct based on traditions that we've inherited. And um, in the, in the, the day that that passage jumped out at me was a day that I was planning to teach on as we come to better understand and walk out the prescriptions of the holy days, what we gain and what we learn and come to understand is not about the holy days themselves or how to better honor them, but about what the holy days all pointed to, and that's the gospel. And so, um, and so it just, um, the contrast was, was made aware to me that all of God's ways are pointed and purposeful and ultimately teach the gospel, all of them. All of his ways teach the gospel. All of his ways point to Christ. All of his ways help us understand his manifold wisdom that we're supposed to be declaring. Right? So all of God's ways are perfect and pointed. And, and what that text says is what we are redeemed from or what we are saved from is aimless conduct. Aimless conduct, conduct that achieves nothing, that points to nothing, that accomplishes nothing, and that does not align us with the Father. Okay? This is so funny because two good friends are here that I haven't seen here in a long time, and I literally have nothing to teach today. Um, but I have, I have something I have to teach to point out why I have nothing to teach. All right? Because what the Lord has been showing me once again this spring feast season is how all of his feasts point to the gospel and help us better understand the gospel. Um, how we see much of the Christian world honoring the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are traditions of men. Traditions of men are what? Aimless, pointless, right? They have absolutely nothing to teach. They have absolutely nothing to align us with the Father. At worst, I'm sorry, at best, they are a distraction from God's ways. At worst, they are a total corruption of God's ways, right? Because God says, whenever you mix my ways with the ways of this world, surely what? Your heart's going to be turned, right? So you can't mix 
God's ways with the traditions of this world and hope to stay aligned with God. The Bible teaches you just can't do that. Whenever you mix, your heart gets turned away. So as we stay pure with what's written, the prescriptions of God regarding honoring these uh, uh, major happenings within the larger redemptive story, he opens our eyes to deeper understandings regarding them. So, so um, does that all make sense? So, so God's opening my eyes right now. Exactly what I'm teaching, I'm experiencing, and it's crazy because as God gives us new revelation and takes us deeper in understanding, you, you ever kind of have that experience where it's sort of beginning to take shape in your mind and dots are being connected and, and your eyes are being opened, but it's just not fully there yet? You know there's lots coming. You know that there's really important, really deep new revelation coming, but you're, you're in the middle of it. Well, that's right where I am right now. I'm right in the middle of it. And that's why I have nothing to teach today. Um, but what I have, I'm going to share because I really believe that this clarity is going to come congregationally this year, um, which is a beautiful thing because that already started last week. And, um, and so essentially what I, what I started with at Passover was when, as we, as we, take another year of walking in God's ways, another year specifically of honoring the, the spring holy days. Um, better understanding of these times gives us better understanding of the gospel, gives us better grasp of the gospel, gives us better and deeper appreciation for the mystery and, and the profound things that have already happened and that are yet to happen. So um, here's the 10,000 foot view all of the holy days lined out and exactly what they represent in the larger redemptive story. So spring holy days are Passover. Immediately following Passover, the seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread. Right in the middle of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the Feast of First Fruits. Those all point to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and perfectly represent and perfectly teach what happened on the cross. 50 days from first fruits, seven, seven Sabbaths plus one day. 50 days from first fruits comes Pentecost, the, day, the exact day that the law was given in the Old Covenant and the Spirit is given in the New Covenant. Fast forward to the fall, holy days. They start with Feast of Trumpets. Ten days later is the Day of Atonement. Following that is the seven-day Feast of Tabernacles, followed by the, the great last day. Those represent events within the larger redemptive story that are yet to come that we anticipate. So honoring these days helps us to anticipate things that are yet to come, right? We know that Christ is going to return with what? The sound of a trumpet. What are the, what's the body of Christ intended to do every face of trumpets? Blow the shafar and understand what it's going to sound like. Why? Because God's teaching us the larger redemptive story through this gift of his holy days. It all opens our eyes to the gospel story. So we know what it's going to sound like. We anticipate it. We know that on the day of judgment, uh, we are going to stand before the great white throne and be judged for every word that's proceeded from our mouth, every action we've done in secret and not. Everything we've done, good and bad, it's all going to be judged according to the laws of God. Then we have a seven-day period of practicing the age to come. Right? And that it represents the millennial reign of Christ when he is back on earth establishing 
and ruling over his kingdom with absolute authority so that at the end of the age he presents it back to the Father and the last day, great day represents the age to come in which God's larger redemptive story is fully complete and culminated. Absolutely astonishing, beautiful, breathtaking gift the holy days are, not so that we can be religious, but so that the body of Christ can be aligned with the Father, understand his plan, know his ways, and take hold of it every year. Take hold of it in, in profound ways. So this year for me, the focus was absolutely on first fruits. And um, that's kind of a contrast to where the Spirit has been leading the Sass family over the last two or three years because it was really, um, he was really using Passover and unleavened bread to help us understand those two elements. But this year was all about first fruits. And that started with um, Kara's question and just caused us all to dig deeper uh, into the text and, and um, read what's written regarding the resurrection of Christ. And um, the question started off, when, we, when do we honor it? Because the prescription and the text can be a little bit confusing. But we now know with great clarity, it's the first, first day after Passover. Establishing it as a set day that we recognize Christ, not as the Easter bunny, right? But as first fruits. The traditions of man are aimless distractions, pointless, at best, at worst, total counterfeits and turn us away from the truth, but the ways of God are perfect. So he was opening my eyes this year to the reality of Christ as first fruits. So now we take a look right here, just a little bit closer picture. Remember, I have nothing to teach today. Okay, I'm, I'm teaching you this stuff because I, because I gotta show you I have nothing to teach today. All I have today is questions. But this backdrop is going to help you understand my question because God's, I believe, going to answer it through this congregation. So Passover is always on Nisan 14. Nisan 15 begins the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's a seven-day feast. First fruits is always going to fall in the middle of that week. It's the way by saying it's always going to be the first, first day after Passover guarantees it always takes place during the seven days of Unleavened Bread. God's ways are absolutely perfect. Right? We are to recognize first fruits on the first day of the week. Why? Because something new has started. Amen? Everything is perfect. Everything points to the truth. Okay, what is happening during unleavened bread? The body of Christ is examining our life and ridding it of sin. And in the middle of that hard work where the Spirit of God is bringing con conviction and clarity and asking for pruning and, and repentance and, and alignment, we are to recognize first fruits. Okay, recognize the resurrection not as a singular standalone event. First fruits specifically, whoops, first fruits specifically teaches us that Christ's resurrection was not a singular standalone event it was a first a first of what many many what resurrections okay so we are inching our way towards my question because i got nothing to teach today 
in the middle of unleavened bread, we have first fruits. From first fruits, we are to count seven, seven Sabbaths, right? Which is how many days? 49. Right? Everyone got that? Seven Sabbaths? Seven, seven times seven is 49. Seven Sabbaths plus one gives us 50. Pentecost is always 50 days from first fruits. And on Pentecost, the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, and the Spirit was poured out on those in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. Every one of the holy days perfectly points out and illustrates and gives us handles to hold on to the larger redemptive story in absolutely beautiful, breathtaking ways. So the Lord's trying to teach me something right now. I'm on the verge of new revelation, and that is not to say extra biblical nonsense, real truth by his word, as the spirit reveals. It's never anything new, it's always old. He's trying to give me understanding about what first fruits means as it relates to being a witness and a disciple and one who's been marked. Okay, so now let's, let's look at the third layer down. This is the revelation in, a, in, a, um, in its most simple form about first fruits where God has brought my attention because he's trying to teach me something. Jesus, Jesus' resurrection is called first fruits because he's the first of many, right? All of the texts we read last week, Galatians, oh, I don't even have my computer today. I can't remember exactly, but we read, we read all the passages that uh, refer to Christ being the firstborn from amongst the dead, the firstborn of many, Right? The first fruits of new creation, the atom of new creation. All those texts that point to the resurrection of the dead, right? which sadly and unfortunately is almost a lost doctrine in the Christian church today. Right? There will be a resurrection of the dead. Every single biblical author wrote about it. We're in John chapter 6 in our Bible study. It's unbelievable how many times just in the first six chapters of the Gospel of John, Jesus mentions the resurrection of the dead and those who belong to him, how they will be raised up in the end. All right, so, so the resurrection of the dead is going to take place at the end of the age. Christ being first fruits and being raised in the middle of history is what is freaking me out. And it's what the Lord is focusing me on. All right, why was one resurrection necessary here in the middle of history when all of the, resurrection, all of the rest of the resurrections of those who belong to God are going to be at the end of the age? You see my question? Why? Why was one resurrection necessary here? Because Christ could have still been first fruits even if he was resurrected at the very end. He could have done it. He could have been raised a second before everybody else. He's still first fruits. That makes sense? He still has preeminence, Colossians chapter 1. He still has superiority. He's still the firstborn from amongst the dead. He's still the, 
the atom of new creation. He's still everything he is being resurrected here, even if he was resurrected here a second before everybody else. So what does it mean that he was resurrected in the middle of history? This is my question. Okay. So let's have a quick dialogue about everything the scriptures teach regarding this. Because here's how revelation always comes to me. It's first of all, usually a totally unexpected focus, area of focus. And praise God when it comes through one of you guys, because that's just super fun for me. And, um, and it's like, all right, God's saying, put your eyes right here. I'm showing you something. And, and, and at first there's like a 10,000 foot view and then there's a 5,000 foot view and then we get in the details and, and I start having these ahas like, holy cow, someone, something happened here that affects the rest of this time dramatically. And it, this is the stuff about the God of the Bible that is way beyond the self-help garbage that's usually preached. God's not into behavior modification. This isn't about being a little bit better. This is about radical, impossible things that have already happened that you can only understand as the Spirit gives you eyes, but it affects everything, and it's meant to affect everything. The fact that Jesus was raised in the middle of history as first fruits, pointing towards the destiny that all that belong to God are going to experience, that's a big deal. Something that means something significant. It's not just to be encouragement or inspiration as unfortunately the Easter story usually is. It's just that. Let's just celebrate that Jesus came back to life. Well, that's not what the word teaches or, or prescribes us to do. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to recognize him as first fruits. What does first fruits teach? That he's just the first. So what, so what does that mean to me and you? Okay, so, so what are some details? And I'm not, even, I'm not even looking to put this together today. I'm just look, looking to speak out things that we know based only on the word that are changed or different or might somehow give us clues as to what it means that a resurrection has already happened. Any details that come to mind? Here's a good place to think, by the way. Details regarding the crucifixion, details regarding post-resurrection teachings, right? Anything Paul speaks about regarding the resurrection of the dead, Christ being first fruits, sanctification or discipleship, in general, what's the, what's the Bible teach? What do you guys, what comes to mind? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So there's something about his death in, 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 in death, burial, and resurrection. Everything that happened in the middle of history, which could have easily happened at the end. Okay, this is why we're answering this question. This gap in time in which we all find ourselves, something's changed. And we want to take full hold of it, do we not? I have absolutely no interest in going through the motions. I have absolutely no interest in claiming only a tiny corner of the promised land. I want it all. Right? Every border to every 
lake, river, and mountain, God's promised all of it, so I want all of it. There's something available in this time in which we live that we are barely scratching the surface of. So what do we know is different? What do we know has changed from this moment? Barbara said, the Spirit's been given. How do we know that that had to happen? Well, Jesus said it, his very own words, it's better that I go. It's better that Jesus goes? How could something possibly be better? He, he, he answers it so the Spirit can come. Okay? What do, we, what do we immediately start looking forward to as soon as First Fruits comes? What's the text? What's the next? Pentecost. All right? Christ being first fruit, should e- we should immediately begin thinking 50 days from now is Pentecost. Everything is pointing towards that. Why? Because a significant reason why someone had to die in the middle of history is so the Spirit could come. Absolutely huge. What else? What other details can, are coming to mind? Absolutely right. Okay, so watch this with me, guys. Something happened right here. A huge detail. That's a huge detail. At, at the moment of his death, the veil was torn. Something is, something, something's changed. Right? Greater access to the Father. Greater works being available to us. Okay, we're trying to ask the question, what does it mean? Why did, some, why did Christ have to be raised in the middle? Why was this gap here? What's this gap for? Christ could have been first fruits at the very end. I want to know what this gap is for. I want to know what this gap means to me as a believer. It's to grow in pride. It's for individuals, each of us, to have the Holy Spirit. It's no longer in one body of Christ. Right. It's the, in the general body. Prior to this, what, were, what was the Spirit's work in humanity? How was it, how was it done? Momentarily. Momentarily. Yeah. Right? Specific assignments, Spirit given to someone for a specific thing. Go build the tabernacle or, or design things within the tabernacle. Moses has got, had God's spirit. Yeah. Saul had God's spirit momentarily and was prophesying. Even the builders of the temple had it momentarily. Right? A gift given to do supernatural things, right? Not magic and hocus pocus. God's stuff for God's purposes and God's glory, the spirit was given for assignments. Okay? In the age or the time following the resurrection of first fruits, now this spirit is available to all. Right? The very first thing Jesus said when he uh, confronted or, or came to his disciples the first time, he said, now receive the spirit. And he breathed it on them. Right? So there's something about this gap that the spirit of God is huge within. Okay, to do, to do what? Exactly, there's two, this is two parts though. 
What happened on the cross? There was something completed and something new established, which is what? Okay, yeah. Hold on, hold that vow. Let's get back to that. First was, there was a first covenant that needed to be completed. Right? So Christ as the unblemished lamb was not just an example to us, although he was that. He also fulfilled the first covenant. Right? And by doing so, was given permission to establish a better covenant based on better promises, Hebrew chapter 8. And those two better promises are what? A brand new heart made of flesh, complete with the laws of God written on it, and a new spirit given to what? Empower us. Empower us to do what, though? Go, go now to Acts chapter 2, when Jesus said, you gotta, you got to wait in the upper room until the promised gift comes. And when that gift comes, you'll be given power from on high to do what? Go be a real witness. Okay, so this entire time is about being a witness, is it not? It ain't about church sermons and services. It ain't about Easter egg hunts for certain. It's about real things that are really happening that Father God has ordained from before the foundations of the world and that are rolling out right in front of us. Right? Isn't that what, the, what Paul kept saying about the prophets prophesying about and longing to see what God was going to do to bring about the restoration of all things. And here Jesus has raised his first fruits and Paul's like, guys, this is happening right in front of you. Open your eyes. Something new is started on the first day. One was resurrected in the middle of history so that everyone else that God wanted could be collected. He's the first fruits of what? Harvest. Everything about first fruits is about harvest, right? And the only way to sow and reap within that harvest is to be a true and faithful witness. The only way that we have a chance of doing that is when we are clothed by the Spirit, powered by the Spirit. So look at the, I can think of, Three teachings of Christ post-resurrection. Think about them with me. What are they? Okay, so we were on that like two weeks ago or three weeks ago and we were talking about brotherly love. Like God's been bringing this thing to a head for probably months. Right, the whole, the whole brotherly love piece, uh, he had me teach on John 20 or 21, whatever that is, when Peter's being reinstated, right? This is a post-resurrection teaching. So think about this. If something absolutely impossible began when Jesus walked out of that tomb, wouldn't his post-resurrection teachings be important? Something new is, is now possible. Something different is now possible. Something that wasn't possible before is possible now. It's big what he teaches. He basically teaches three times. One of them is to Peter. And he basically says to Peter, if you love me, love the church. Feed the church. Care for the church. Is that a big deal? It's huge. We cannot walk in the divine nature without loving and feeding and caring for the sheep. Every one of us. What else? What's another teaching? 
You yep. John baptized in water, you will now be baptized in spirit. Exactly right. And then, to become true witnesses to the ends of the earth. Exactly right. Are those things connected? 100%. Totally intertwined, totally connected. Everything the spirit will do in the believer is tied to being a true and faithful witness so that the church can be built up and established and ultimately spotless to be presented to the bridegroom. And which talks about Revelation where it says that he died so that we can be redeemed to the Father so he can meet us. It is, it is God's intent that his manifold wisdom would be made known through the church to the powers and principalities in the spirit realm. Ephesians 3. So one more teaching. Matthew 28, Great Commission, right? Go out and make disciples. Is this, this is a post-resurrection, post-resurrection teaching. Love the church, be a faithful witness, go and make disciples. If you love me, keep my commandments. Teach others to obey everything I've commanded you. Right? So all of those things are swirling in my mind. Right? They're, all, they're all connecting with the ways in which Peter and Paul talk about Christ as first fruits and new creation beginning and the purpose of the church and the corrections that the epistles bring within the church from the veil being, in the veil being torn and Peter being told to feed my sheep and the great commission, great commission, um, my mind blown on it because also in John, first six chapters of John, it is so abundantly clear that Christ is saying the only ones that are ever going to respond to the gospel are ones that God has already chosen for himself. How do we even wrap our heads around the Great Commission when that is so crystal clear? So he's trying to clear some, clarify some things there for me too. But I know one thing's true is that I'm to go out and preach the gospel to all creation and leave the rest up to him. And that the Spirit will empower this vessel and this mouthpiece to do exactly that. And all of these things connect to two pieces for me that, that are so beyond my understanding right now and why I have nothing to teach today. But there is, a, there is a connection between the divine nature that we've been reading about in 2 Peter 1, partaking in the divine nature and living the resurrected life that other New Testament letters refer to. That the, the, the reality of one being raised in the middle of history somehow, some way makes available to those that belong to God his very nature and this resurrected life, which is essentially to say the life that we will live in the age to come. Wow. Now I see why in 1 John 5 it says that we can be without sin. Why Jesus says it's possible to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Not equal to God and not perfect all day, every day, but these moments of partaking in the divine nature or living the resurrected life or being one with Christ where we are doing things that are not possible, but one was raised in the middle of history. Right. 
Absolutely. 100%. So I have nothing to teach today, so we're done. And now what we do is we each pray, and I would specifically ask for you guys to continue to pray for me because there's more. I know there's more. More truth, not just to understand but for the purpose of application. So pray with me that we would be given a spirit. Of, uh, let me just pray. Father, we just ask, as Paul asked, we ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God that you would open our eyes to your truth regarding the connection between partaking in the divine nature and living a resurrection life. We want to take full hold of what it means to live a resurrected life. We want to fully experience what is possible to be experienced because Christ has gone before us and has already raised his first fruits. We want to know all that that means. We want to take hold of all that makes, all that's been made available because of that. And it's easy for us to admit that this is beyond us. So we pray for sanctification by your word. We pray for renewing of our mind. We pray for the scales to continuously fall off that we might know your truth. These things that you are leading us towards. And we thank you in advance for your spirit being given to lead us into all truth. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. 1126, earliest service ever.